The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit lifebaptistchurch.com. What if I told you God was not a fair God? What if I told you that God is not a fair God and that's a really, really, really good thing? I'm not a farmer, but I've spent some time on the farm or two. You see, I have uh, grandparents and cousins who lived in Platte, South Dakota for years. And many summers, we would go out to South Dakota and visit them. And one summer, when I went out there, my cousin was working on a farm, and he was going to work the entire summer. And uh, he invited me to come out and work for him, or work with him, as uh, he was working. And so I worked with him for, uh, for a little while. You know, it was a blast. It was uh, a back-breaking horrible, smelly blast of odors that I had never experienced before. You see, it was a cattle and pig farm. And uh, let, let me just say, after that experience, my appreciation for the men and women who take care of my bacon and my beef has gone up significantly. I am very appreciative of that. We worked hard shoveling hay, herding cattle, and cleaning up after animals. And at the end of the day, we were tired. We were in pain. We were exhausted. I worked for only a few days, and my cousin worked for the entire summer. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if the farmer at the end of the summer called both me and my cousin up and said, I'm going to pay you both the same exact wage. He was going to pay me the $1,500 that he was going to pay my cousin. My cousin had worked almost a full three months I had worked almost a full three days. How unfair to my cousin. He worked so much harder than I did. He worked so much longer than I did. Does he not deserve so much more than I did? I think if we were in my cousin's shoes, we would all agree that our perspective of the farmer would be that farmer is unfair. However, I think if you were in my shoes you might have a different perspective of that farmer. Perspective is everything. Yet different perspectives of the farmer does not change the truth about the farmer. This is where we find ourselves in scripture today. The parable of the laborers. However, I'm not sure this parable is just about the laborers. I think it's so much more. In this parable, we find Jesus teaching his disciples what the kingdom of heaven is like. And at the end of the parable, we find a truth about God that is amazing and that is absolutely true today as well. This parable comes right after the rich young ruler has walked away grieving because he did not want to give up his wealth and follow after Jesus. The apostle Peter then reminds Jesus that he and the disciples, we've given up everything. So what about us? In short, Jesus' response to Peter is this. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much. But then Jesus goes right into the parable that we're going to be reading today and studying today and teaches them a valuable lesson about God and a valuable lesson about themselves and about their expectations as well. This lesson is, is true, not only back then, but today for you and me as well. 
Let's read it. But before we do, will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the lessons that you graciously taught your disciples and that you graciously want to teach us today. Father, I ask that as we read your word, your word will come alive and that you will teach us new things about yourself and about us even before I say a word. But as we read your word, that you will teach us and speak to us. What an amazing God you are. We love you in your name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to Matthew 20, 1 through 16. Matthew 20, 1 through 16. We are in the parable of the laborers. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, and this is what he says to them. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw and saw others standing idly in the marketplace. And to those he said, you go into the vineyard also, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Verse five. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? Pay attention to verse seven. This is important. They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go in the vineyards too. Now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, starting with the last group to the first. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. And so when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled to the landowner saying, these who were hired last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day's work and the scorching heat. But he answered and said to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I want to give to the last person the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I want with my own? with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. Because I am generous. Because I am generous. What an amazing statement that Jesus is proclaiming to his disciples in that moment. Many times when Jesus was using a parable, he was speaking directly to the Pharisees or to people who thought what they were doing was worth the kingdom of God, was worthy of God's presence, was worthy of God himself. They saw their works, their efforts, their sacrifices as the righteousness that would attain them eternal life or the right standing with God. However, this parable is directed right at Peter and the disciples He's talking directly to them and pointing out who they are in this parable. Don't forget that this parable came right after the encounter with the rich young ruler. In the eyes of the disciple, he should have been one of the first to receive a reward. He should have been one of the first to receive eternal life because if you read that story, you find out that he did everything the law required and he was wealthy. And if you know anything about the culture in that time, wealth was seen as God blessing you. 
And so obviously this man who had done everything the law had required and was wealthy should absolutely receive reward, praise, and eternal life from God. To the disciples, this is the man who should receive it first. So when they come forward and they're none of that, they ask Jesus, who then can be saved? To which Jesus replied, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Throughout history, most people have associated their standing with God and rewards from God by what they do for God. In the kingdom of heaven, this is not true. To understand this parable properly, we need to understand the setting properly. You see, at that time in history, men who would be standing around waiting for someone to hire them were not skilled, educated, or of high regard. They were hired hands who would depend on the graciousness of a landowner or king to come and hire them. These men were so desperate, they would do almost anything for whoever would hire them so that they and maybe their families could eat the next day. One historian said, usually the later in the day you were hired may have meant the less able and skilled you were, even to the point that you, have had, that you may have had a disfigurement or ailment that would hinder you from doing good work for the landowner. Remember, Jesus is talking directly to Peter and the rest of the disciples. If you haven't found yourself yet, ask God to reveal who you are in this story. If you were to look at the parable again, you would see that the landowner went out five different times throughout the day, from early morning to late in the evening to call upon unskilled, uneducated, and possibly even unable workers to come and work for him. The disciples were not day laborers, but they were also not the most skilled or the most educated. Yet Jesus found them and called them to come follow after him. Remember, perspective is everything. This leads us to the first point in this parable. The first point that we find in this parable is Jesus was revealing the generosity of God to his disciples. Jesus was revealing the generosity of God to his disciples. Jesus did not have to call Peter. Jesus did not have to call James. Jesus did not have to call any of the disciples into God's kingdom and into service of him, but he did. The landowner in this parable was not just generous to the last one hired. He was generous to the first one hired as well. John MacArthur says it this way. In this parable, all the workers were well paid by a landowner who was not obligated to hire them in the first place. God is not obligated to let us into his kingdom. God is not obligated to give us heaven. God is not obligated to allow us into his presence. And certainly God is not obligated to do anything for anyone here on earth. Yet it is because of his generosity and kindness that he gives grace to humanity, all who are undeserving of it. If salvation came to but one sinful, wretched human, that would be more grace and more salvation than all of humanity deserves. Salvation and the gift of eternal life is nothing to be earned by human hands. Paul says in Romans 3, through 26, it is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ 
for all those who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Salvation is a generous, gracious gift given by a generous and gracious God. It doesn't matter how long you work in the fields of this world, you cannot ever earn what a generous God can only give you. If there is anything you have done to think you deserve salvation, you might just be like the disciples in this moment. You see, God's greatest gift of generosity was standing right in front of them, and they missed him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. God gave. God gave his son because he is a generous God. The disciples wanted to be rewarded for their service, yet the reward was standing right in front of them, talking to them about the kingdom of heaven. Later in scripture, we see two of the disciples send their mom to ask Jesus if they can sit on the right and the left of him in his kingdom. Can you imagine sending your mom to ask that question of your rabbi, of your teacher, of your savior? Hey mom, go ask Jesus if I can sit on his right or on his left in his kingdom. At the last supper, We still find the disciples arguing about who will be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. Before Jesus is to make the ultimate sacrifice, we see his first disciples still arguing over who's going to get what they think they deserve in God's kingdom. This leads us to the second point of this parable. Jesus was revealing the prideful expectations of the disciples. Jesus was revealing the prideful expectation of the disciples. The problem in this parable was not injustice on the part of the landowner or the foreman, but jealousy and pride on the part of the early workers. The early workers were the disciples. The early workers are you and me. Although the early workers were at the mercy of the landowner, and his generosity to even hire them. When they saw others receiving the same as they were to receive, it brought up jealousy and pride in them rather than gratitude and gratefulness. Look at what they say to the landowner in verse 11 and 12, and, and, and maybe even just put yourself in that moment and, and even imagine saying these things to the God of the universe who's given you everything. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, these who were hired last worked only one hour and you have made them equal. Do you see the pride in that tone? You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day's work in the scorching heat. I wonder, I wonder if we can imagine an extremely wealthy businessman walking down the street and seeing a beggar sitting there asking for money and he says, come with me, I wanna buy you new clothes. I wanna buy you a home, I wanna buy you a new car. I wanna give you everything that I have, just come with me. And so the beggar gets up and he follows after him and 
And the man pays for everything that he says he will pay for and gives him more than this man ever deserves. And then the the wealthy businessman simply says, hey, will you help me out with a few projects over here? Will you you help me out with a few projects over there? And, And so obviously the beggar said, yes, for sure, of course I will. But then one day he sees this businessman now who he calls his friend bring in another beggar and give him exactly what he was given, but then the businessman doesn't ask him to do anything. And he complains and he grumbles to the businessman. I think all of us instantly say, I would never do that if someone did that for me. But have you ever done that to God who has given you everything? How you respond to other people being blessed says a lot about your heart. It says a lot about who you see or how you see what God has already blessed you with. It says a lot about how you view God and his generosity. So how do you respond when other people are blessed? Do you rejoice with them? Are you thankful for them? Are you grateful for what God has done or is there jealousy and envy? The disciples expected something for their sacrifice. They expected to be rewarded by Jesus for their time laboring in the fields. Yet Jesus was showing the disciples their skewed perspective while pointing out a major problem that almost all of humanity has. The prideful expectation that we deserve to be rewarded for what we do for God's kingdom. I absolutely believe that God honors those and blesses those and rewards those who follow after him. However, if that is the reason why you follow after him, you may be just like the early disciples who are serving him for the wrong reason at that moment. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you examined your heart and your motives? When was the last time you examined your heart and your motives and and allowed God to do that for why you serve him and why you do what you do for God's kingdom. When you serve God or do something for his kingdom, is it for the purpose of a reward or is it because the king has already given you the greatest reward? Here's another question. Does God owe you anything? Does God owe you anything? I think initially we would say, no, no, of course he doesn't. Of course he doesn't owe me anything. But let's go further into that question. Do I think that if I follow after Jesus, serve him with my whole life, shed tears, feel pain, and possibly even shed blood for the kingdom of God, does God owe me anything? Is there anything that God could ask of you today that you would say, well, if you do this for me, then I will say yes to that. Because if that's your response, then you do believe you've, you earned a reward for what you have done for God's kingdom. I think maybe a better question to be asked is, is there really anything I can do to repay my savior for what he has already done for me on the cross? This parable exposes the selfish, wretched, prideful hearts that so many of us have because so many of us believe we deserve a reward for the things we have done for God in this life. No, our God is not fair. 
If he was fair, we would all get the wages we deserve. Those wages are death and eternal separation from the holy and perfect God that he is. The Apostle Paul declares it in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So if God is not fair, what is he? He is generous. He is gracious. And he has rewarded us with the greatest reward that he can give us. He has given us himself. He has given us eternal life and a reconciled relationship with him that we might have life in him. Perspective is everything. It is often not until we have the right perspective on what we really deserve that we don't fully know what we really have received. Let me read that again. It is, not, it is often not until we have the right perspective on what we really deserve that we don't fully know what we really have. This leads us to our key truth for the morning. Our key truth is this. At the foot of the cross, all are equal. None are so righteous, they do not need a generous God. And none are so wicked, they are beyond the generosity of God. At the foot of the cross, all are equal. None are so righteous, they do not need a generous God. And none are so wicked that they are beyond the generosity of God. Before receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, all men are equally lost. And after they receive him, they are all equally saved. Relative merit is irrelevant because even the greatest human righteousness can only merit hell. Let that one sink in for a minute. Our greatest righteousness on our own, the best it can deserve is hell. Isaiah declares in Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. By God's perfect standard of righteousness, no person comes to Christ with more or less merit and no one is received by him with more or less grace. In the parable of the gracious landowner, Jesus was dealing with the selfish, indulgent, envious, and ambitious orientation of the disciples. He wanted them to see, as he wants all of his followers to see, salvation is not in any way deserved or earned. It is the free gift of God dispensed sovereignly and impartially to whomever places faith in his son and what he has done on the cross. The believing tax collectors, prostitutes, criminals, and social outcasts will have the same heavenly residence as the Apostle Paul, Augustine, Luther, and Wesley. There are no servants' quarters or low-class neighborhoods in heaven. Everyone who believes will have a room in the Father's house specifically prepared for them by their Savior. Every believer is part of the church. Every believer is a child of God and fellow heir with Christ. Every believer is blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It is not that every believer receives an equal part, but that every, every believer receives equally of God's grace and blessing in salvation. Everyone belongs to God and has all of God. This one hit me hard. The thief who placed faith in Jesus with just hours to live received the same salvation and eternal life that the Apostle Paul did 
who served his Savior for years. At the foot of the cross, all are equal. None are so righteous they do not need a generous God and none are so wicked that they are beyond the generosity of God. Believer, why do you serve your creator? Why do you follow after your savior? Is it to earn what you can't or is it because you have been given what you could never earn? I implore you to give of everything because you have been given everything by a gracious, generous God who has given you what you don't deserve. Live for him. Serve him in every area of your life because he died for you so that you might have eternal life and true life and life with abundance here on earth as well. Do not see your service as a sacrifice, but as worship to the gracious God who pursued you, found you, and rewarded your relationship with him. Is there a greater gift than that? I think if we say yes to that question, we have missed the greatness of that gift that is our savior. To the unbeliever, don't miss out. Don't miss out on the greatest gift that God has given us. One of the greatest truths we find throughout scripture and in this parable is that, is that God continues to pursue his creation. He keeps going back and back and back and back into the marketplaces seeking for more that he can call into the kingdom of heaven. Do not miss his calling. It's not too late, but someday it will be. The brutal honesty of that statement is someday it will be too late to say, Jesus, you're my savior. Today, God is generously and graciously pursuing you and inviting you into a relationship with him. He's inviting you into his kingdom that is eternal. If you feel unworthy or too damaged to be of any service to the king of kings, you're in good company. We are all beggars in need of a loving, gracious, and generous landowner to hire us and give us a place in his kingdom that we don't deserve. Would you pray with me? Jesus, what an amazing savior you are. God, what an amazing God that you would send your son to your creation beggars who needed a savior. Father, I thank you that we can't earn your love, which means your love for us is eternal because you chose to give it to us. Father, what a savior you have given us. What a reward that we do not deserve. May we be followers after you who love you and serve you and and will do anything for you because of what you have already done for us. God, I am so grateful that you would call me an unskilled, unworthy beggar to be a part of your kingdom. We love you so much in your name. Amen.